the lie that poetry tells is constant as the truth itself. Without the lies and the false beliefs, where would we be? Where would we be? Welcome to the State of the Theory podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm an India. And we are your theory doctors. Hello. Welcome. We might have an episode where we don't agree with each other today. I know. That I think doesn't this seem is... to happen. Yeah, maybe once or twice. Yeah. So, we are talking about the possibilities of having a progressive nationalism, having a left-wing nationalism, possibility or otherwise. Uh, in our minds are Scotland, Scottish independence. Where we live. Where we live. Uh, Catalonia. Uh, our audience will know the ramifications of what's happened in Catalonia over the last few weeks. But also right-wing movements in India, um, Modi and the... Hindu right and the way it is transforming the fabric of the nation and also our favourite man in the entire world, Donald Trump yes. and the Trumpian right-wing movement that in many ways is similarly transforming the fabric of of the nation in, in, in America. Yes. So these are the various historical contexts and you know, other forms of emerging what one might loosely describe as oppositional forms of nationalism. So one can think of Palestinian nationalism, one can think of Khalistan, which is the Sikh nationalism in parts of India and Pakistan, um, as, as you know, the secessionist nationalism in Sri Lanka and Nepal and, and Tibet and so on and so forth. Um, all of these obviously have their own various historical contexts, which we won't have time to go into. But I guess the central question we're interested in is, is it possible for left-wing, counter-hegemonic, progressive politics to take on aspects of nationalism? Uh, yes and no. Hmm. Um, I think you and I differ and disagree in terms of some of the, the mechanics of of what goes on mm. as opposed to ultimately where we place ourselves. Um, cause certainly our politics in terms of how we vote, um, parties that we align mm. ourselves with are very similar. Mm. Um, I, I find this, the, the question of the left, the left as presenting, um, a, a challenge to, Trump's mm. Trump's white nationalism that's currently on display in the White House a really interesting one mm. and it's that question has animated a lot of um, progressive writers and left wing politicians uh, in the media not just on social media in mm. a kind of more informal mm. sense but also in the more institutionalized media in the United States people are really thinking about what the Democrats can and should do. Um, in order to create an alternative vision of the nation that is strong enough and cohesive enough to challenge this conservative right wing, um, you know, it's called white nationalism, and that that really what is what it is. It it occurs to me we we mentioned Netflix in our previous episode. It occurs to me that one one example of that inaction, that sort of progressive liberal nationalism, if you like, 
can be seen in another Netflix show designated Survivor. Your favorite. My favorite f- ridiculous show. But I think the, the 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 precedent, if you like, in Designated Survivor, the government as depicted in, you know, a, a multiracial White House um, filled with e- more or less equal representation in terms of gender and, um, you know, progressive storylines and progressive thoughts, all bound up with a sense of the American nation as a progressive uh, thing. Yeah, they say it's it's basically the West Wing. It's the West Wing. It's the West Wing leftist politics yes. on steroids. Yes, made for the post nine yes. eleven world. And and I think probably made. I mean, I don't know if it was made for the post Trump world, but fitting the Trump world. Yeah. And you have a similar thing in India. You know, you have a similar uh, uh, certainly sections of of progressive politic progressive political activists in India talking about. N- uh, needing to trying to recoup the or reclaim the Indian Constitution as a progressive document, a progressive historical current contemporary political document, as something that needs to be preserved in order to further progressive causes. So that's one aspect of the possibilities of correlation and uh, what's the word? Um, um, sort of paralleling of progressive causes and, and nationalism as, as as distinct political projects. Um, the other is, where I think we disagree more, is the various forms of oppositional nationalism, secessionist nationalism, if you, if you like, that has uh, uh, come to light over the last few years and longer. Yeah, um, I mean, part of that I think yeah. is because I I grew up and was raised in in a a federal hmm. state. Um, in in I think in an even more kind of um, um, institutionalizing, totalizing sense. Hmm. I mean, you're hmm. from India, which also is a a huge country, massively diverse, um, and uh, governed at various scales. Simultaneously. Except uh, certainly growing up in a country, coming to coming of age, if you like, in a 90s, if you don't know your Indian history, 90s is a really important moment in Indian history as the opening up the liberalization of the economy and, and you know, globalization and, and a transformation from a liberal sort of progressive Indian state to a neoliberal and, and eventually much more conservative, arguably fascistic uh, government in, in 10, 15 years' time. But my formative time, if you like, in India has was under uh, in a country which still held on to that fabric of uh, the importance of big government, the importance of a planned economy. You know, India famously had its five-year plans from independence, you know, big government projects would, or in terms of family planning, in terms of infrastructure, as tools to improve the lives of its citizens at every level. Certainly the rhetoric, the idea, the to what extent it worked or didn't work is, is a different matter. But uh, the set dressing, if you like, was that, in the way that I don't even think the set dressing anymore is like that for India now. Yeah. Um, and... That transform that that 
obviously colors my position on this just as much as yours. Yeah, I mean, the United States, the and you feel the different scales at which your life is, is determined um, when you grow up in the United States because yes. um, your birth certificate and your driver's license mm. um, and any number of other kinds of permits that you mm. receive throughout your life mm. are granted not by the mm. not by the federal government but by the state government. Mm. So mm. if you move states, right, you can choose to update your driver's license mm. and you need to if you mm. need if you want to update your address. Mm. And so you ha there's bureaucratic processes so you're you're subject not just to the federal government mm. but also mm. to internal states. And that system is fascinating, mm. uh, works in a way that's very fascinating. So mm. if depends on where you are, you know, you will be affected by different policies differently. Mm. Mm. Um, Obamacare, mm. for example, mm. it was enacted in the States very differently. So mm. in California, mm. where I'm from, Obamacare would have been amazing for me if I were to move back yeah. to the U.S. Yeah. Um, in other states mm. where they didn't necessarily enact all parts of the legislation, mm. it affected people very, very differently. differently. Yeah. Premiums went way up for a lot mm. of people. Um, not everyone was covered. All kinds of different things yeah. that, that exist that, that make American nationalism mm. a far more complicated mm. animal, certainly than it's made to seem in I think certainly in Europe. And much more than it is the case of India. You know, the differences between the states in India are certainly nowhere near the difference between the states when it comes to America. India isn't a federation. The, the states have much less power. Uh, I think uh, the way I see it, it's much closer to a kind of political devolution model as we know in Britain. So, you know, Wales has a government of its own. Scotland has a government of its own but the powers of those governments are limited to a much greater extent. And the difference in, in life, certainly in terms of the way we are governed at various scales, is much, much less between England, Scotland and Wales, between various states in India, than it is between various states in America. Yeah, although, I mean, Scottish devolution is, is of of all of them, the most mm. powerful, yes. the Scottish government has far more yes. say than certainly the Welsh government. But much less say than the state California of California government. or Texas. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if part of that is is population size. And um, scale. And scale, scale yeah, and in yeah. terms of, of the diversity of yeah. resources that need yeah. to be managed. Yeah. Um, th just everything is, is yeah. bigger. So... He so here's the question. I think it is probably fair to say that, certainly in my case in India, and I guess a general case through from sort of 70s, and I'm being very deliberately vague in my, in my chronology here, but over our lifetimes, whether we take Britain as an example or India as an example or America as an example, I think if we were to track the trajectory of the nation-state in these three different examples, I think it would be rightwards over this period. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. So if you think of sort of going back before the 70s, sort of the difference between, between New Deal America and America today, the difference between Nehru's first post-independent government in India and the BJP government now, the difference between... The welfare state Britain and Britain now is a is a 
is a fairly sharp tack to the right over over this over the sort of second half of the twentieth century and beyond. Yeah, although historians talk about that period, the forties, fifties, and sixties, as being an anomaly. Yes, um, that that was that the move to the left was yes. actually the anomaly. So, and, and I think that's that's there's definitely a case to be made for that. I guess uh, what I'm interested in today is in the world in the context of trying to tackle these big scale right wing what we would both agree i think as oppressive governmental institutions to what extent is secession and secessionist movements a challenge to these authoritarian states now in some cases it seems to me that you can see the challenge as you can see the effect of the challenge in action so when manuel rajoy's government in spain sends armed police and actual actual army to barcelona to quell protesters and to stop people from voting whether or not catalan nationalism is progressive or not it seems to me that it is certainly seen by spain as challenging by spanish nationalism as destabilizing when in the 1980s when indian prime minister at the time indira gandhi sends the army into the golden temple in amritsar to stop khalistani separatism again it seems that the indian state recognizes secession as challenging if you look at the way indian government treats kashmiri separatism today in india the violence with which it treats that it it seems to be inescapable that secessionist movements pose a challenge to nationalism as status quo to the status quo of the nationalism of these big nation states to what extent is that challenge to what extent does that challenge contain any possibility for what we might loosely describe as progressive politics yeah and this is where we differ because yeah. i think that that left wing that left wing position can only exist hmm. before independence yes that after independence all it does hmm. is reproduce and i don't think i disagree with that i don't think i disagree with that and you know, and it's it's in you know it's an odd position for me to take you know i've described myself as a marxist and on this on the series many times before and it's an odd uh, it's a nationalism seems to be in speaking on behalf of a nation state and is an odd position for me to take but i don't think i disagree with the fact that were catalan independence to come through the catalan government would be no more utopian than the spanish government is today but that doesn't mean that fighting at this moment in this context fighting for catalan independence doesn't have progressive politics attached to it the day catalan becomes catalonia becomes independent it would cease to have the same progressive force yeah because what yeah. because the the internal contradiction yes. um and this is the internal contradiction that has been pointed out many times yes. regarding the SNP's version of mm. civic nationalism yes. what they call civic nationalism yes. in Scotland is that it contains at its heart that same grain mm. of us and them our state our nation for us that is distinct from them yes. and the them before independence is the hegemonic mm. state yes the oppressive Yes. You know, semi-colonial central yes. government. Yes. The them after independence 
is all the other nations in the world. Yes. And that's where a, a, a kind of IR realist position yes. comes into play, which yes. is fundamentally conservative. But I don't see any contradiction in identifying as a progressive with the nation-state that is yet to be, as it were. And then once that state comes into existence, turning the fight onto that state. I think maybe part of this is because I come I come from the United States mm. where our most successful attempt at secession was a bunch of <laughs> slave-owning landholders <laughs> who were fighting to create a state in which mm. they could own and continue yes. to own black people as yes. chattel. Yes. And th- the closest we come to that kind of rhetoric is a nostalgic ex- kind of romanticization of the Confederacy. Mm. To the point where the state of Texas mm. talks about secession and mm. is the only state mm. that allows for secession within its constitution. Mm. California is also a republic, which I'd like to point out, but California does not have the, mm. the means within its constitution yes. to declare secession. Texas can. Yes. So do you, you know, the gun-toting, mm. um, Confederate flag-tattooed Texans... Would you be happy to no, support their but surely that, secession? But surely that that's... So the, the point is that each secession movement needs to be thought about in its own context. Uh-huh. Right? So so I guess my position is that... And this is wh- where the idea for this episode came from, is my getting a little bit annoyed at otherwise left-wing, left-leaning people who come from a similar political position as I do who seem to me to be, perhaps unfairly on my part, seem to me to be rather uncritically, rather unthinkingly reject Catalan nationalism, Scottish nationalism, Palestinian nationalism, uh, any form of nationalism as equivalent to Spanish nationalism, British nationalism, Indian nationalism. Yeah. In a way that seems to me to be not comparing like with like. What's also fascinating, yeah. um, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, no. I don't want to forget this point, a lot of those same people, mm. when it comes to orientalizing mm. and th- and thinking about subject people mm. in the so-called Orient, mm-hmm. to use Saeed's term, mm. are all you know all over the Dalai Lama and pro pro yes. Tibet independence, yes. um, and are uh, hypercritical mm. of Russian involvement in Central Asia, or mm-hmm. hypercritical mm. of Chinese involvement in. Mm. you know, mm. across Central mm. Asia, including Tibet. Mm. And, in fact, often can also take a more left-wing position on Palestine mm. in many cases. Mm. But when it comes to European nationalism, mm. there is this block mm. that you're talking mm. about. And I would, had I been given a vote, um, I was not, mm. uh, I would have voted for Scottish independence mm. as well. But I would have done that believing wholeheartedly that as soon as it happened, yeah. the Scottish state would be make it just as difficult for me to get a visa to yes. live here. I mean, I, I had state. a vote as a British citizen. Cards on the table, I voted for Scottish independence. Surprise, but I didn't, surprise. I didn't vote for it in thinking that this would be a, a, utopia. a utopia of, you know, workers' revolutionary state. I believe that this would be an important signal against austerity, which we might argue is a temporary phenomenon, but it's actually a phenomenon that <coughs> more than anything else has defined 
the British government in the last mm-hmm. coming up to ten years now. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that was on its own is worth making a point worth making. It was uh, bound up in ideas about differing foreign policy and differing defence and Britain's nuclear position and so on and so forth. But n- v- voting in favour of all of those things, knowing full well that had Scottish independence happened, we would then have to target our protests not at Westminster but at Hollywood and Edinburgh. But that fact doesn't did not, for me, take away the progressive potential within the the decision to support Scottish independence. And I think where I differ yeah. is that I I'm not sure that one or the other is better mm. in terms of Scotland now has quite a lot of power mm. in the UK as an opposition, as a, a territorial unit, mm. as a population, as mm. a devolved government, as a set of constituencies, mm. and that its role mm. might very well be... I, I'm, I'm just not willing to say that Mm. that's worse Mm. than the eventual independence. Mm -hmm. I'm not willing to make a judgment that I think Mm. one is better than Mm. the other. And that's where, that's where I'm quite like Foucault. So what would the rationale be for, if you had the vote, what would your rationale be for voting for independence? Um, I think partly my position I take my position because I haven't been able to vote in the country in which I live for a long time now. Um, I vote in the U.S. because I pay taxes in the U.S. Mm. Um, And I think our audience will be pleased to hear that I always vote against the white nationalists. Um, But I think the the justification would partly be yours. Mm. Um, But in something like a referendum... The Scottish, the Scottish referendum, I wouldn't have felt comfortable necessarily voting. Mm, 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 mm. Um, Brexit, I would have. Mm. I would absolutely, and I do feel that I should have had a vote mm. in the Brexit referendum. Mm, mm. Um, and I feel that it was anti-democratic mm. to deprive me of that. Mm. But the the Scottish nationalism and Scottish independence referendum, I think... I sit so far outside mm. of these questions. Um, and that is why I'm able to mm. say this, that I'm not sure that... Th- which is not how I feel about every yeah. independence yeah. movement. Um, uh, certainly. So... I mean, the, the, not to interrupt, but there's a, yeah. there's a difference. We, you mentioned this before we started. Um, the Catalan... Uh, situations like over the last few weeks have has involved much more uh, egregious violation of human rights by and use state. and use of use of force by the by the Spanish state than the the Scottish situation has. Uh, I think, if anything, I, I don't think that necessarily speaks to uh, a superior quality of the British state. I think it just speaks to the British state being cleverer in that moment. The British. The, the David Cameron government being cleverer in that moment than the Rajoy government has been now. Yeah. I think I think had Rajoy 
allowed the referendum to go ahead in the way Cameron allowed the Scottish referendum to go ahead, the result would have been the same. Um, so I, I don't think it's, it speaks to any kind of you know, superior yeah. quality, more democratic nature of the British government. I also think there's an economic situation. Yes. Spain it has had a far more traumatic experience post-2008 yes. than Scotland has. Yes, and, 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 and the relationship, the economic relationship between London and Scotland is very different from the economic relationship between Madrid and Catalonia. Yeah. Uh, Catalonia is a much uh, a wealthier part and much uh, a bigger producer of wealth within Spain than Scotland is within Britain. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that features heavily as well. I guess, um, and I, I think we might have spoken about this at the time, I remember, particularly remember a uh, uh, newspaper, multiple newspaper front cover uh, a couple of days before the Scottish independence referendum, which covered an anti-independence rally in Trafalgar Square in London, which, and the photo was essentially a, a sea of Union Jacks of the British flag, and it was presented as an anti-nationalist rally. And around, I, I, I was visiting London around the same time, and left leaning liberal friends of mine were shocked at how I could support a nationalist cause, identifying as left-wing myself. And it just seems and continues to seem fascinating to me that, and Catalan, in this particular example, context, the Catalan example is exactly the same, which is how people can so easily identify the separatist movement as the nationalist movement and status quo as somehow something else. Yeah. Well, as a photo with a sea of Union Jacks, yeah. how how someone who is so critical of nationalism in other contexts can't see that as a as a, an imperial. An image. imperial is absolutely the right word, and that, it, that imperial is, is the same for Spain. And that was my yeah. frustration as well, yeah. living here. That, um, it, and I think part of the reason. And in some ways, my my left wing nationalism yeah. was reactionary in the sense yeah. that it it was this th- th- my well educated um, friends who all share the same politics as as you and me were sharing all of these ridiculous pieces that their friends and colleagues had written in like The Guardian and Jacobin and um, even like towards yeah. the end BuzzFeed that were so so blind. Yeah to the actual the actual debates that were happening yes. in Scotland. Yes. And what it was actually like to be in Scotland. Yes. And the act of voting and yes. the kind of the more kind of simple practical lived experience mm-hmm. of being here mm-hmm. during the referendum. And I finally had a little rant and we just mm. talked about this how I never have rants on mm. social media. Really mm. it's very rare yeah. that I share things. Um, very rare that I share links and uh, but I finally had a rant and was mm. like don't post anything about yeah. Scotland until you come here yeah and um, I, we've discussed before as well my use of social media is very different from yours I do share a lot of things on Facebook I do link and rant and and so on um and you that's get into just, little, little arguments yeah, too, and, yeah and that's just a uh, you know uh, com- just a difference in the way we use social media it's, it's nothing more than that but I remember sharing at least one article wh- where the headline was, and I still, whatever may or may not have happened after after 
notional Scottish independence. I still stand by this headline, which is whatever the sins of British nationalism, whatever the sins of Scottish nationalism might be, they are nothing compared to the sins of British nationalism. And it was really interesting how the kind of fury that that caused among friends and family who uh, in various ways re reconstructed and appropriated really problematic racial arguments based on my own race about how I should be more grateful to Britain, living in Britain and so on and so forth. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but it's... And, you know, that's whatever. That was a particular particular example. But it does seem to me that perhaps we haven't quite, we being sort of theory, left, politics, world, whatever, hasn't quite thought through with enough nuance the different historical contexts and different political contexts of hegemonic and oppositional nationalisms that different forms of nationalism might mean different things. That Kashmiri nationalism and Palestinian nationalism surely have to be seen as different entities in this time and place compared to Indian nationalism or American nationalism. Yeah, and I think this is where your position, you describe it as a defeatist position. And yes. Mine is an idealist position and mm. often comes off as being nihilist, but I think mm. it is more of an idealist position, which is that that for me it's a failure of our collective imagination to construct a world that is beyond nation states and that the ultimately in the end what you have is the construction of more borders that are based on shared identity a sense of shared identity and the the establishment of a bureaucratic state that governs all the people who have those shared char characteristics and identities. And yes. once you create, as, and this is the sort of, you know, post-World War mm. One mm. ideal moment mm. in which American geographers mm. went around mm. and did a whole ethnographic mapping project of Eastern Europe and divvied up the Austro-Hungarian mm. Empire based on language, mm. that you then, what you then have is just the continued working towards this ideal mm. where everyone in a given territorial unit shares these homogenous characteristics and whether or not, you know, Scottish nationalism professes to be beyond that. I'm just not sure that the, the, the construction of the state itself, once it happens is able to actually instate those ideals. I think that's very, that's very well argued and very well put. I, I might, and I say this as someone who, like you, supported Brexit, su supported that yeah, Brexit cause. The opposite. Uh, voted to remain, voted, would really, really love for Britain to continue to remain within the EU. But I think we both share a fundamental political uh, suspicion of the EU as an institution. Which we talked about. Which we talked about before. And the EU, for me, serves as the as a, as a way to respond to that argument, which is the EU demonstrates how the collapse of borders and the erosion of nation-states, as powers of the nation-state, doesn't lead to any kind of, necessarily any kind of progressive, better workers' rights type, more socialist world. Do you see what I mean? So it just, it, it occurs, it, it, I'm just not convinced whether 
secessionist movements that challenge the uh, ontology of existing nation-states, challenge the existence of the existing nation-states, reinforce the idea of the nation-state or undermine, undermine it. it. And I don't know if either necessarily would be more progressive or not, because I think there's certainly, and if a globalized neoliberal world has taught us anything, that it is possible for oppressive capitalism to transcend nation-state borders. You know, it is possible for capitalism to figure out a way in which it can, through free, free trade and whatever, can carry on existing in a world where nation-state powers are apparently dwindling, though, of course, that's prone to change at any moment. Yeah, I mean, I think my my position here really is quite similar to yours, but it is ultimately that that it left-wing nationalism mm. doesn't undermine the mm. nation-state. Mm. I don't necessarily think that it, that it makes the nation-state more powerful or... Mm. Mm. Um, more cohesive as a concept mm. but i because i think it is already mm. the dominant that is the paradigm in which we live yes and in the bourgeoisian sense of a paradigm we can't think beyond it yeah. in the kind of the um you know the cunian sense we can't yeah. think beyond it mm. we this is it and so you and i can sit here and talk about progressive nationalism in terms of like baby steps towards this mm. or that and i'm you know i just don't think that it undermines the nation state in any way. Mm. And ultimately, the Marxist take here is that Scotland can become independent. But it makes no difference. Capital can carry on. And it will ultimately be subject to the whims of larger, more powerful economic actors. Except, and I say this while accepting that I am clutching at straws here, but I think that in moments when a kind of oppositional nationalism is bound up with other progressive economic political causes, i.e. anti-austerity, anti-monarchy in the, in the case of Spain, to some extent in the case of Scotland as well, um, it allows for, to use the expression from Foucault that we used last in the last week, last week's episode, it perhaps allows for moments when discourse can be mutated. In other words, it can perhaps open up space where you can have other conversations and you can build momentum, to use a particularly loaded term in, in British political context at the moment, but you can build momentum towards fighting for something new and something different. In other words, a revolutionary transformative economic system that will absolutely not be the result of independence. But independence and the debates and conversations about independence could perhaps lead to that. Which, what I'm essentially doing here, and I, I've mentioned this before we started recording, I think I'm, I'm, I'm outlining the communist position vis-a-vis -vis colonial independence in South Asia and Africa and so on, where the Communist Party certainly didn't believe that Indian independence would be revolutionary. It didn't believe that Indian independence would bring about on its own a, a utopia of workers' paradise. But the Communist Party did believe that the kind of conversations, debates, 
transformation of society that would need to happen for independence to come about could perhaps lead to something better. Now, in the Indian case, it hasn't happened. In most cases, it probably won't. But I think there is enough potential there to try to initiate and carry on these conversations through the process of undermining nation-states. Yeah, but I don't think it undermines the nation-state. I just still don't agree that it undermines Mm. the nation-state. So, do you mean the challenging the authority of an individual nation-state doesn't undermine the concept of the nation-state? Yeah, I think certainly, and I think that that is, it's not the, and this is where it's an idealist position, Mm. because there is, I don't have an an alternative. Do you think that challenging a nation-state, challenging the authority of an existing nation-state is important in and of itself? Yes, but in the sense that the left-wing position is more powerful from within. So this yes. is where where I say Scottish, hmm. the Scottish independence position hmm. is most successful hmm. before Scottish independence. Yes, yeah, I think we agree with that. I, I I completely agree with that. I think in if and when Scotland gets independence, there'll be a different fight to fight. But I don't think that that if and when Scotland gets independence, that that is necessarily the best way to do the work that you're saying needs to be done? Um, it probably isn't the best way, but I think it is a way that it, the conversation could be advanced. There could be other ways of advancing this conversation, but I, I think that it is possible for progressive causes to be advanced through this particular conversation as well. I just I feel like the limits the limits of that I'm quite wary of. Mm. Mm. Um, and I don't know I don't know if that has something to do with my American I mean, self. We, of course, it, it all... But there is a kind in. of... I mean, the, the, the flip side, the way that left-wing nationalism works in, in the United States mm. is to appeal to um, the debates about the founders' visions and the Constitution, the document itself. Right, yeah. um, and it, interestingly, not just in here, but Pakistan as well, you know, this the progressive position in mm. Pakistan is about this, you know, Pakistan is, is not not the nation that Jinnah mm. imagined. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, and, and it isn't. I mean, mm-hmm, objectively, none of our states are, th- are currently the visions mm. <laughs> of the founders. Mm. And th- the documents themselves you know, are, are a tool for nationalists to argue over. But the kind of the fundamental position of people like Michael Moore, for example, mm. who are what I would call left-wing nationalists, mm. are about debates about the true America, what America should mm-hmm, be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it has very little mm. to do with the, with the world outside mm. the boundaries of the nation-state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, I think, is, are the limits. Mm. And I think that those limits are quite serious. So I'm not, I mean, this is where I have no, I'm a bit more like Foucault here. There is, mm. there is no right answer for me. Mm. I'm more circumspect than you are mm. about the kind of positive outcomes of left-wing nationalism. 
I don't disagree with you, but I also don't agree. That's a good place to end. Yeah. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, let us know what you think and whether any of this has helped you, confused you, annoyed you. <laughs> um, I hope it has done all of the above. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, drop us a comment, send us a review, and catch you next time. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been the State of the Theory. Thank you. Well, well, well.